All right, we're rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people. And we hope that in sharing them with you, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. I like what you did there. I would buy that intro for a dollar. Ah, I see. You have integrated a reference to the content we are talking about into our intro. Good job. You are doing a great job. You need the... Tari uh, worked extensively with a mime to get the body language down for his performance as robo-podcaster. But this is an audio format and all his work has gone to waste. I think they can hear it in my voice. The more robotic I become, the more robotic my voice is as well. Lex Michael, you have brought this in for us. Can you pitch it to the people? Wait, wait, wait. If you had one message for the kids that are watching, what would it be? Stay out of trouble. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Good stuff. Thank you. You you watched the movie. I did. Please pitch this. (laughs) All right. So, in the not-too-distant future, uh, Omni Consumer Products has privatized the police force in Detroit, and out of their machinations comes the future of law enforcement. He is part man. He is part machine. You better believe he is all cop. From director Paul Verhoeven comes one of my very favorite movies of the, not just the 80s, but frankly, one of my favorite movies, period. I love everything about this thing. It's got almost everything you could want in a movie. It is funny. It is brilliantly cast and acted. The effects are crazy, and it is infinitely smarter than a movie called RoboCop has any right to be. I fell down a big RoboCop rabbit hole super recently, and I jumped at an opportunity to come in, talk to you about this movie, because I think this movie is awesome. Interesting. Cool, cool, cool. When you say that you fell down a RoboCop rabbit hole, which is a hard thing to say, um, do you mean that you just started binge watching all RoboCop content or that you started on the Wikipedia page and then it just like sent you down uh, a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and and thoughts and, and, and think pieces and essays? Uh, more the first one. So Arrow Video just put out a really amazing limited edition set for RoboCop. I talked on a Missing Out Monday a couple of weeks ago about their edition of American Werewolf in London that they just put out. Which yeah. Is a beautiful release. And they gave RoboCop the same treatment. So I have been going through that. And it's obviously it's a movie, the best the movie's ever looked and sounded. Multiple cuts. got the, the director's cut, the theatrical cut. And then it's also got three commentaries and hours upon hours of new interview stuff. And also like all of the old extras that have been ported over. So I have been digging through that. And then it also gave me an excuse to go back and take a look at the two 
RoboCop sequels, uh, RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3, the second movie being not quite as good as the first movie by any stretch, but a movie that I still get a lot out of. It's real bonkers in a way that I got to give it a lot of credit for. And RoboCop 3, which I feel like would require several minutes of context for me to even arrive at stating my opinion, but it's not known for being an excellent movie. I think okay. it's a little bit of a misunderstood movie, not a great one, but a little misunderstood, but its reputation is not uh, not the best. Conversely, this movie, the one we're here to talk about, the original 1987 RoboCop, is considered the best. Okay, yeah. Um, when you had brought this up to me, uh, I thought that I had seen parts of RoboCop 1 um, and none of the other ones. Right. And it turned out, as I was watching, that I had seen most of RoboCop 2 and none of the other ones. Yeah, I, I like RoboCop 2 quite a bit, enough so that I will probably bring that in to the show at some point. Um, I get that. Like, I have very vivid memories of the scene where he gets disassembled and like thrown onto the street mm. like that, I think is what I think about the most when I think of RoboCop um, that and their failed attempts at other RoboCops, yep. which was like a super depressing storyline about how like they kept trying to make cops uh, into RoboCops and they just kept self terminating. And so they were like, why don't we do a criminal? Um, and then that, as you might imagine, turned out poorly for everyone. I do like uh, Tom Noonan as a brain in a jar for a sequence. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And also, uh, somebody pointed out recently, or I heard it pointed out recently, that the fight at the end of RoboCop 2, which, by the way, is this great stop-motion fight. It does feel like you're watching two action figures fight each other, but that right. does feel very, very appropriate for the tone of the movie. Yeah. I think the stop-motion work is fantastic, uh, but the fight resembles more than a little bit uh, the fight that would come uh, almost 20 years later in the first Iron Man between Tony Stark and uh, Ironmonger. Yeah. Like in terms of their their sort of designs and their sort of design relationships to each other and even some of the moves that they're dropping on one another feels very much like RoboCop 2. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it was an homage. It would make a lot of sense. It's a guy who walks around in a robot suit doing justice. Exactly. Um, so to talk a little bit about RoboCop, if no one has seen it, um, this was directed by, I'm going to ruin this name. Paul Verhoeven. Um, yes, it was directed by him who, um, also did other things you may have heard of. Starship Troopers, Total Recall. Uh, more recently he did a movie called L, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Starship Troopers is a, a favorite of mine. Um, I never brought it on the show because Lexus very likely seen it uh, i would love an opportunity to rewatch it and talk about it so we could let's let's it's do not starship the premise of the show bro but uh starship troopers is based on a novel that is very fascistic and paul verhoeven took that novel and adapted it into something that takes a very satirical look at that material and essentially turns it into something where the message is ultimately antithetical to what the message of the source material was right in a very smart savvy way and then it, it also has a lot of giant alien bugs getting shot with big lasers and blowing up right and that's something Verhoeven is really good at he's good at making movies that seem like big violent loud dumb spectacles 
and actually manages to infuse them with a heart and with intelligence. And I feel like you don't you don't see uh, filmmakers given an opportunity to walk that line. And I also think it might be his European sensibility, what he brings to it, that maybe an American filmmaker wouldn't have brought to it, that uh, sort of helps facilitate those qualities. Like RoboCop is a crazy violent movie. It's yeah. very violent. And, and not for nothing, like I'm a big fan of uh, practical effects work and also practical gore effects. And this movie has a lot of that wildly violent and if you're only engaging with the surface of this movie i could absolutely understand people who are turned off by it who say oh it's just it's just violent and dumb and big and loud. like i i i got it i i understand where that could come across but if you engage and you look past the surface of this movie there is a lot going on yeah. in terms of satire allegory philosophy there's a, a bunch happening under the hood of this thing yeah, and we'll totally get into all that stuff. There's a story, like speaking of, there's a story, I guess, that uh, Paul Ver Verhoeven um, originally dismissed the script as just that. Oh, he looked at the title, basically, and he says he threw it over his shoulder. Right. And then his wife picked the script up yes. and looked through it and brought it back to him and said, uh, maybe you look at this. Yeah, um, which I think is is a great a great way to get into a project. Um, no, because I also hear, like I was watching a video recently um, by Maggie Mae Fish, who uh, you've probably seen her on assorted uh, YouTube things. Like she's been on College Humor. She's been on Cracked. Uh, uh, very great content creator. And she did a, a very interesting feminist reading of RoboCop. Um, and she made mention that like, that reading probably wouldn't be there if not for uh, Van Hoven's wife's influence. Yeah, I could track that. Yeah. Um, so also, this this movie has a bunch of stars in it. Yes. Um, we've got Peter Weller. We've got Kirkwood Smith, Nancy Allen. Uh, Ray Wise is in there. Um, I forget the name of Bob, his real name, but he's in a bunch of stuff. Miguel Ferrer is in it, yes. yes. Uh, Ronnie Cox, of course, is Dick Jones. Uh, Dan O'Herlihy is the mm -hmm. old man. And, of course, we talked about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch recently, yeah. which uh, Dan O'Herlihy plays the main heavy. Uh, I'm a big Dan O'Herlihy fan. Yeah. So it was good to see him. Yeah. Stars some really great uh, stop-motion robots uh designed by phil tippett uh also i do want to shout out uh phil tippett who did uh, a lot of the miniatures and the stop motion work and also rob botin who did a lot of the special effects or did the special effects on the movie he also did you know the the effects in the thing among others nice i feel like we can't go too much further without dropping down the spoiler wall um because there's a lot of uh, stuff that we need to talk about story-wise philosophically um behind the scenesy. Uh, so I think this is a good time if you haven't seen the movie, um, to jump off, you can find it on, uh, you can find it on HBO. It's on HBO max or, or I guess HBO now. Um, you can find it at arrow films, get yourself a physical copy. Yes. Uh, they uh, check out that edition. I know it's a limited edition. I know the, the American werewolf release, which when it first came out was under 30 bucks has, I'm now seeing it listed for like 60. So I guess these things are actually fairly limited in quantity if you want these editions, but I think there's a kind of regular, more standard two disc edition that you can pick up. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. If you're a fan of the movie, it's the, best version of this thing available on the home market and if you've never seen it before and you've got 
couple of bucks and you want to blind buy it, I highly encourage you to do so. I love this movie as we'll continue to talk about here, but it, it's, it's the best you're going to do, I think, as far as home video presentation. They put a huge, huge, huge amount of effort into this release. You heard me sing in this company's phrase, praises a ton a few weeks ago. I will continue to do so whenever I have an opportunity because I, I'm, I love that they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, check it out. I imagine, especially since it's gift time, this might be a good time to get someone you love their own copy of RoboCop. And also, while you're at it, a different company that I've talked about on the show before, uh, Shout Factory slash Scream Factory, put out special collector's editions of RoboCop 2 and RoboCop 3, where they also got really great treatment, both in terms of audiovisual presentation, but also, again, multiple commentaries, big, newly produced featurettes, things like that. So I, I encourage you to pick those up as well if you too want to fall down a really powerful all-consuming robocop rabbit hole if you want to become property of ocp that's what i recommend <laughs> are you down with ocp <laughs> yeah you know me that was your that was your cue lex i but you you did it for me see i i delegate i'm dick jones i okay. have and you're my clarence Boddicker, and you're going and doing my my dirty work all right well <laughs> that spoiler aside <laughs> um we've given you a chance to click off uh you know make sure that uh you subscribe so you can get this in your feed every tuesday um and that's it we'll come back with spoilers right after this message and we are back so lex michael if you were to try to give a, a quick synopsis of this movie, what happens in RoboCop? Um, so the real quick backstory, which was part of my pitch, is essentially it's the not-too-distant future, and it's a, a future that... It's upsetting how day by day the future depicted in the RoboCop movies looks more and more like the present that we live in. But uh, this massive corporation has succeeded in effectively privatizing the Detroit police. And they are capitalists first and foremost, and they're trying to figure out how can we boost our earnings while essentially sucking funding away from public services, including right. the police. So part of that initiative is to try and design these technological advancements in law enforcement uh again not necessarily in the interest of the public good but more in the interest of continuing to make money and line their pocketbooks right one of the ideas proposed by an executive by the name of bob morton played by miguel ferrer is called robocop the idea being and they sort of gloss over the fact that they're well aware that the quote-unquote volunteer needs to die so that they can use their body, essentially. Right. Um, they t there's one quick line about how they've restructured the police department so that the best officers are being placed in the areas of highest risk where they're the likeliest to be killed yeah. so they can take the best officers, use them for that. So as part of this process, an officer played by Peter Weller by the name of Alex J. Murphy is transferred to this precinct in Old Detroit, and he's a great cop. Uh, he's partnered with Ann Lewis, played by Nancy Allen, who I think is an awesome, gets to be um, a really awesome, strong female character without being at all sexualized. Like Paul Verhoeven was very explicit about the fact that he did not want there to be any sexual or romantic tension yeah. between Lewis and Murphy. They're just, they're partners, they're equals. Uh, they, I really like the character of Lewis in this first movie. They, uh -huh. they do my girl dirty. 
in the sequels. Oh, do they? It's no good. Um, so I, yeah, I had read that, uh, that Paul had her cut her hair a bunch of times so she could be less and less, um, I guess sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it also in the great, uh, reading by Maggie Mae Fish, she talks about how the, the look that they gave her is basically a, a mirror image of Alex Murphy. Mm-hmm. And so like looking at her is basically like looking at a female version of him, which I thought it was a really interesting aspect. Yes. Um, but also despite, uh, Paul's ver- attempts, I found her sexy as hell. She's so attractive. She's so cute. She's a little bit. Oh yeah. no, that it's tough at the very end. Her delivery of Murphy, I'm a mess. It's very difficult not to have a giant crush on her. Yeah. Uh, I am. Oh. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. I speak kid. <laughs> so, so he's partnered with Lewis, uh, who's another fantastic officer. And again, Murphy, great, great cop. That's why he's here. But they are going to bust a gang headed up by sort of the the unofficial mob boss of old Detroit, one Clarence Boddicker, played by Kurtwood Smith, who most people now would probably know as Red from that 70s show. Yes. Uh, he, and apparently he's known to everyone who knows him personally. He's just a really genuinely fun, nice guy here playing just a vicious bastard. And Boddicker and his gang kill Murphy. They just rip him to shreds in this ultra gory, practical effects driven execution sequence which is exactly the opportunity that OCP and Bob Morton need to take Murphy's body and essentially turn him into part man, part machine, all cop. He's uh, sort of the, the beating heart, if you will, of the RoboCop initiative. Problem is they weren't able to effectively remove every shred of Alex Murphy from what's left. And so it's a story about a RoboCop's, uh, uh, struggle to bring justice to Detroit yeah. to protect his city, to serve the public interest. Um, but also for Alex Murphy to try and find, is he in there? And if so, can he find himself again? Yeah. So what about this story really brings you in? Like, what is it that you love about it? Like, what are these aspects that you connect with baby? It's it's a few things. I mean, first, uh, you know, the first time I saw this movie, what grabbed me initially at the age I saw it was uh, the aesthetics. And and speaking of, it's interesting uh, that this this movie came out and and was it did okay, but where it really found its its biggest life was on video, where where kids were discovering it. Like kids were discovering this hard R. RoboCop movie and discovering a pretty hard R RoboCop 2 as well yeah. and getting really into it so much so that starting around the time of the third movie in the early 90s they really started to shift their perception of the the audience that they were going to market to that's how you get a PG-13 RoboCop 3 that's how you get not one but two RoboCop animated series in the 90s I watched both of them you get the one season RoboCop and then you get uh, RoboCop Alpha Commando and then I think a few years after that, there were some. Uh, There's a live action was Canadian television miniseries with like four feature length episodes hmm. uh, called Prime Directives, I believe. And I have not seen those. Uh, but then they did the remake in 2014. It's like we're back around to trying to sell it to not 
not adult adults necessarily, but not small children. Right. Anymore. It was PG thirteen, the two thousand fourteen version, right? I believe so. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like the type of thing that they would insist is PG thirteen so they can sell more tickets. Well yeah. I, I feel like that was everyone's main gripe with it was they were like, Look, they're trying to get this R rated thing into a PG thirteen package without the soul. It's like it's like a sad clone. That's what everyone referred to it as. But the uh <laughs> Uh, it is, oh dear. What? It's, you uh, don't like my sad clone analogy? But there, but, but what you just said, I think gets at something important, right? You said like there were people who were maybe griping that with the lower rating, they were stripping away something that I do agree is sort of key to RoboCop's identity, but not necessarily in the way that they seem to think. I do think the violence, the, the intense kind of graphic violence in RoboCop a, yeah, I do think is a, is a great way to showcase practical effects work. But more to my point, it's not violence for violence sake. It's violence that gets at some of the greater themes and some of the subject matter that this movie is satirizing as far as the sort of inherent fascism of law enforcement, especially law enforcement that is controlled by corporate interests. Okay. So I do think the violence serves a purpose beyond just being gratuitous violence. Yeah. It's, it's also gratuitous violence that because of the way, because of Paul Verhoeven's proficiency as a filmmaker, I feel like there is something comedic in its excessiveness. Yeah. Well, a big Paul, Verho a big Paul Verhoeven thing is that he likes to show graphic violence because he feels like, we as a society are very desensitized to yes. what violence looks like. And, and um, the idea of like war and, and casualties and things of that sort. And so like part of his general life philosophy is to show the, like the gory guts of, of like the actual consequences of violence. Yes. And yeah. so like, right, exactly. Like this is what actually more or less happens to a human body versus in an action movie, you see them get shot and maybe they fly back or something. And right. the dude moves on. But like in the opening sequence where Dick Jones played by Ronnie Cox, who sidebar uh, is an actor who like he was in deliverance before this, among other things, but known primarily as playing like the very sort of like white collar, nice guy. Yeah. A very warm, nice figure. And so he's playing very much against type here. And I think he he's so, so, so very good in this role. Uh, and it was so effective that Verhoeven cast him as the bad guy in his next movie, which is Total Recall. But in that scene where uh, at the beginning of the movie where he's introducing the Ed 209, again, a, another really amazing Phil Tibbet miniature uh, and stop motion effect. Uh, as this is this is my plan, and, and it goes horribly awry when uh, poor uh, Kenny's ripped to shreds in a hail of bullets. Yeah, and you you see this poor dude like they this dude must have been bruised to shit the number of squibs that go off on his body. Yeah, uh, just riddle and crazy, just blood splattering everywhere, and it's it's Harrowing. almost it's but it's almost hilarious how harrowing it is. It's just like, Jesus Christ. But it does serve a purpose. Right. And you notice, like, it's that graphic, but Dick Jones doesn't give a shit about that guy. Dick Jones cares because this is going to affect, ultimately, not just the bottom line financially, but also potentially his stature within the company. Yeah. And so 
I, that's sort of what I mean when I say the violence does serve a purpose. The violence says a lot about the world. The violence says a lot about the characters who occupy the world. And I think the violence says a lot about, I'm trying to think of a better word than society. The internet has made me feel silly using the word society because of those dang memes. But I mean, we do live in a society. <laughs> but but uh, I, think, I think the violence serves multiple greater purposes than just being gratuitous. So I do agree in a way that stripping that out does rob RoboCop of something that is in certain ways essential to its identity, just not for the reasons that I think these people might think it's essential to its identity. Okay. Like, it's not like, we need the gore and the violence because it's awesome. Like, that's not why it, it belongs in RoboCop. Yeah. It belongs in RoboCop because it actually, it, it actually says something about the world that this movie takes place in and our world as well. Right. So, I mean, I guess that said, I know that there are a bunch of different readings of this movie and none of them like specifically overt, like no one turns to the camera and is like, well, here's what we learned today through our sequence of events involving this robotic cyborg. Um, so like, I, I guess I have to wonder, cause this is my first time watching it. And so like when I watch something for the first time, I am intaking like the events that are happening and I can interpret them to, to a point, but like, I feel like usually it's after the second or third that I really start to dive into the themes. So like, what are people's readings of this movie? So there is obviously there's the, the sort of corporate and law enforcement satire. There's also of course uh, a look at, sort of crass consumerism and how things are sold to us and how, uh, like you notice, like the, they do the media breaks throughout the movie yeah. and you will have these sort of silly commercials. Like there's the one uh, battleship style game that's essentially about nuclear annihilation. Yeah. And you'll cut back from this sort of very jovial commercial spot to this new segment where it's like, Five people, including two former U.S. presidents, died horribly, blah, 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 blah. So uh, looking at sort of the contrast in the way information is presented to us, how these horrors can in a lot of ways become so normalized because you go from something that is so tonally bright to something that is so deeply horrifying in the span of that much time. Right. There we go. In the span okay. of that much time. And it desensitizes us. You know what I mean? And I feel like that is also something that goes hand in hand with the way violence is depicted, right? Because in this country, as we've seen, we've become more and more and more desensitized to violence to the point where, I mean, it's exactly what we're seeing, right? Like we watch TV now and we will see a, a car spot. Like, look at how free and awesome and dope you'll feel driving this car. You want one? Spend your money. Hell yeah. Let's be awesome together. And then six people killed in mass shooting and it just one thing flows directly into the next and it has a numbing effect it has a desensitizing effect and so then paul verhoven decides okay well that desensitizing effect is is not a particularly positive net thing so i'm gonna riddle these people with bullets and make it look absolutely horrible so that even if you feel desensitized to it you're st it's still gonna you know grab you and hit you kind of aggressively so yeah. there's there's that there's the there's the satire there's the commentary but then there's also a big resurrection through line in this movie, obviously, uh, as far as the sort of death of Murphy and his resurrection as RoboCop. And then also his re-resurrection as, as Murphy himself sort of over the course of the movie. But Paul Verhoeven is a, among other things, a Jesus 
scholar. And he's worked with a number of other scholars trying to piece together a record of the historical Jesus, try and separate out the the myth and sort of the, the apocrypha and try and paint a picture of who the real guy was in that time and place. They put a, a book out that I, I like feel like I need to read now. But that the 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 resurrection idea and the Christ idea is a through line throughout this movie as well. Uh, Robocop at the end of the movie, it, there's a, a scene where he's finally confronting Clarence Boddicker and it looks as though he's walking on the water. He's walking in, you know, it's very shallow layer of water on the ground, but obviously yeah. that water being there is an intentional choice and it looks very much uh, given the shallowness of the water that Robocop is literally walking on it. Hmm. Then of course there are elements of the Frankenstein story uh, baked in there as well. Uh, but, but there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there are things, bro. There are things this movie thinks. <laughs> cool. Um, yes. I, uh, before we got on camera and by camera, I mean microphone, I was, uh, making a joke about RoboCop being Jesus in that, like, he's a guy who died and then he's brought back to life. Oh, and he becomes the savior. Oh boy. But even, even, even though he's trying to do justice, the people who are supposed to be his friends still turn on him. Oh, um, that was my, that was what I was saying before. And now I'm saying it again. It's good. Well, now it's, we've recorded it for posterity. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting kind of interpretation of it. Also, um, I like that this movie never settles on one opinion of cops. It's never like glorifying them. It's never like D it's, it's never, um, kind of demeaning them. It's like, there are a lots of different kinds of cops and you're going to see every version of it. Mm -hmm. You're going to see the ones that are. Um, you're going to see overworked cops. You're going to see cops that are trying to unionize. You're, you're going to see cops that are assholes. You're going to see cops that are just trying to do the right thing. Um, every aspect of a police officer you get to experience through this movie. And it's like, yeah, cops are multifaceted. Yes. Um, the, the indictment is of the sort of the, not even the system of sort of the, the police force, but more the greater systems of sort of corporate like predatory corporate capitalism and what happens when, as we've, we've seen in the years since uh, to one extent or another, what happens when that world gets its, its hooks into public services and into systems of law enforcement and the effect that that has the, the sort of corrosive damaging effect that that has on institutions. Right. I mean, we get the, the very overt line, which is more prescient at this point where um, the, I, Dick Cox, no, Dick Jones, um, basically is like, <laughs> we are, we're already the military, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, now that statement is um, pretty accurate in that police are gaining more and more access to military type equipment, which gives them more of a incentive to act in a militaristic way, um, as opposed to being peacekeepers which is what the police force was originally supposed to be yep and we are no reason for us to cite specific examples but we see far 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 more stories than we ought to that uh seem to reflect a world that looks a little too much like the old detroit of robocop for my taste 
Yeah. Um, in that, in the regard you are describing. Right. Well, I mean, because, and I wonder, like, there, there's this idea of, like, the media we consume influencing the, the, the real world and things of that sort in the same way that, like, Star Trek influenced us to have, like, flip iPads phones. and flip phones yeah. and stuff like that. So there's this thing that, like, maybe, not maybe, but, like, you could argue that things like RoboCop or, or like, especially in the 80s when we had such a big boom of, like, oh, man, guns are dicks, and, and we're going to get the biggest guns in the world, and we're going to have all these muscle-bound dudes fucking penetrating people with their massive dick bullets. <laughs> Rambo killed everyone in Vietnam with guns. Um, yeah, and you have to wonder how that influenced the people who go into these because like people who watched uh robocop as kids are now old enough to join the force and and have been in there in a long time and and there's a cool aspect if you're not really looking for the the other layers to be like oh man look at this dude going into this this cocaine warehouse and just shooting everyone in the chest without prejudice it's it's well it's an interesting conversation to have right and robocop is a totally reasonable example of this uh i agree that there are a number of instances of people ingesting material and not really wrapping their heads around it in its entirety and maybe not taking away the points that the thing is trying to make about violence for example right i absolutely agree that 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 happens i don't necessarily agree that it's the responsibility of the filmmakers to you know what I mean like I don't think it's on them how it's necessarily interpreted every time now of course in in 2019 coming up on 2020 things things are have changed in such a way where I do think it's worth considering these things ahead of time but I don't think I certainly don't think it's the responsibility of a filmmaker in the late 1980s to be thinking about a bunch of sort of not the most healthy, stable people and how those people might internalize their no, work. No, and I, I totally get that. Also, especially when you're doing a satire, that is because of the nature of satire. Like parody, it is obviously going for the most absurd version and it is very overt about that absurdity. Mm-hmm. Whereas like satire in its nature is made to look like the thing that it is poking fun at um, to, to the degree that it is almost indistinguishable from that thing. Yes. Um, And I think that that is why a lot of satires are taken at face value, because if you're not looking for it, and if you're not going into it, knowing that it's a satire, you're like, this is a thing that endorses that thought. Right. Um, which is another reason why people had issue with Starship Troopers in that like Starship Troopers has very overt Nazi iconography. Yes. And if you're not going into it knowing that it is uh, a satire of fascism, then you're like, look at all this propaganda. Well, look at all this. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're familiar with the source material, which is actually a bit of an endorsement of fascism. Right. So... um I think that that's the hardest part about it is especially if people are consuming, as you were saying, like people who consume this a lot at, in home video were kids. When I saw it, I was, well, 
when I saw RoboCop 2. Right. I was a kid. And so I wasn't like, oh, look at all these layers. I was like, it's sad that this guy is a robot and now he is getting taken apart. It is sad that this other guy is a robot and now two robots are fighting. Dope. I love that. I don't even think I understood any of the aspects of like, oh, look, because uh, number two takes place, as I read, in the middle of a um, of a cop strike and which the cop strike is, starts at the end of this movie, which I think that if I was a kid, I don't even know what a strike would have been. I don't I don't think I would have known what a strike is. Well, the, and the other thing, too, about RoboCop 2, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but that one, even though I think it does it less successfully, still has a lot of interesting satirical ideas on its mind. For example, they literally call their second RoboCop that the, the OCP is trying to develop. They literally call it RoboCop 2. And it's literally, it's it's the sequel. It's the bigger, louder version and that's his the threat that he the physical threat that he has to overcome is essentially the sequel to him. Right. It's also a movie where they overload him with a crazy amount of additional prime directives to try and make him more family friendly. Essentially, the way a studio would take an uh, a movie that they can turn into a corporate IP and sanitize it and it's a mess the same right. way RoboCop sort of becomes a mess for that section of the movie. So they're they're doing things. Oh yeah. Um, the not for nothing, the plan, and I'll, I'll let people go watch RoboCop 2 and discover the, the details for themselves, but the OCP and the old man's plan for uh, Delta City and what that's going to do to Detroit as it currently exists is sort of like what uh, is happening to this country right now. In fact, oh. it's almost identical. Interesting. Except, Mystery. Except that in the real world, nobody's trying to build anything. Ooh, guys, you got to go watch robocop 2 you gotta go one see what i loved as a child and two <laughs> figure out what lex is talking about he just dropped a mystery bomb for you you ready to explode with <laughs> mystery bombs uh i I, don't, I think my analogy got away from me that there's a mystery and, and maybe you have to defuse the mystery bomb you just dropped it is it gonna explode people's minds this mystery bomb is that what the mystery anyway I digress. Um, but yeah, RoboCop one. RoboCop one. Also, not for nothing. If you frequent as we do the internet, uh, there's been a lot of conversation of late. A lot of really, truly bewildering debate about uh, movies. Let's call them big franchise movies, genre movies, action movies, what have you. Uh, of the past, both recent and a little bit further back, and how there's a certain contingent of folks on the internet who insist that our action movies, our franchise stuff, our genre stuff didn't used to be political. That this is a recent invention by SJWs to to steal our toys or whatever the hell it is. Um, yo, bullshit. Watch RoboCop. Right. Like, this is a very explicitly and pointedly political film. Yeah, I I really miss, and not to say that we don't have it now, um, but I really miss weird sci-fi like this. I was recently watching Demolition Man, which is also like crazy weird sci-fi with a, like 
a lot to say and a lot to just like a lot of quirks about it. Um, and, but like, it's yeah, guys, it's always been there. Like everything that you enjoy has a message probably. Well, it, it, I feel like when people try and make the argument that, trying to include politics into and by the way it seems to be that the term politics in this context can usually be switched out with there are characters in it with agency that aren't white men but i digress uh the idea that it it wasn't there is just so uh it, it fallacious that's the word yeah fallacious super fallacious. it would it, i feel like it's one of two possibilities when you hear that argument i feel and let's leave a margin of error fine uh but I feel like either this is an intentionally bad faith argument and they're just looking to stir up shit or they're kind of telling on themselves, right? Because what you're saying then, take a movie like RoboCop, what you're saying then is you watched it when you were a kid and all that stuff went right over your head, which is fine. It, it did for me as well when I watched it as a kid. But what you're telling me is you never went back as an adult and thought about it any further, which is okay. That's your prerogative. But that's what you're telling me, right? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sharp left turn real quick. Let's do it. RoboCop, from what I understand, is a very quotable movie. It is one of the most quotable movies. Yes, and so I I guess I have heard a bunch of different quotes from this movie, and I expected as I was watching them to be like these big giant moments. No, but like. They're just things that happen. Yeah, that's so great. So, like, the the main ones that I feel like I've heard, uh, I'll buy that for a dollar. Of course. Um, bitches Leave bitches was a leave. big one. Yeah, like, Kurtwood Smith has a decent percentage of the best lines in this movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, Stay Out of Trouble. Um, oh, from one of my favorites in the movie, it's it, uh, the first when they're chasing uh, Boddicker and his gang uh, on the highway. And poor Bobby's uh, leg gets nicked, essentially, and he's no longer of use. Yeah. And they open up the back, and he's like, can you fly, Bobby? And they just throw him at the car and stuff. Yeah. And like, and Bobby's just like, Clarence, no. And you feel really bad for this hardened criminal in that moment. <laughs> he was not expecting to be sold out when he got up for the heist that morning. Nah, man. He's like, he, he probably turned to his little sister and was like, I'm, we're finally going to have enough money to pay for your surgery. I'll be back later tonight and it's going to be so great. I'm, I'm going to bring that cake you like. <laughs> and then her, his, his little sister was waiting there just anxiously. And then she's like, maybe I'll turn on the TV because I've been waiting so long. And they're like. This guy was murdered. Oh, boy. He's part of a heist, and he's never going to give any money ever. Anyone who's related to him is also going to be indicted as a conspiracyist. A conspiracyist? Yeah. It's like conspiracist. But very refined. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how they talk in Detroit. I don't know if you've ever heard a Detroit accent, but that was it. <laughs> I... Oof. That, that broke something in me. Ah, uh, we'll fix it. Just like Robocop fixed himself. What What else? What else? What else you got? What other ones jumped out? What else? Uh, when you saw it, you were like, oh, it's words from my past. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
what most... were the what were the moments that made you flash back to your long lost family? Oh well, there was the moment when uh, <laughs> we're just like, I have something to tell you, and you're like, oh, this is the moment I get divorced, and then later it's revealed <laughs> that it's just something so innocuous, and you're like, oh no, she just says, I love you. I cool. Yeah. All right. Because like it's the like, way why they... did you scare me? Right. The way they play that scene, the first time you see it. Um, she's like, I have something to tell you. And then the next, the next scene is him basically driving away and the like kid waving. It's just like, dude, did, was she like, I don't love you anymore. And then like, he's, he's like, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to transfer and I'm going to just dive into my Get work. myself killed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, cause that's sad. That's so sad. It's not great. No. Oh man. Um, but that's it. Like, I I think the the big one is bitches leave mostly because I had a coworker who would yell that a lot. Um. All right. What? It's a choice. Yeah, it is a choice. It's a big choice. <laughs> that's why I expected it to be a big thing. I expected him to walk in and be like, bitches leave. Yeah. Pow, pow, pow. Ah, yeah. No, nothing showy about it. He's just a man who wants the bitches to leave. Yeah. I mean, which is very courteous of him. He could have he could have blown them up as well, uh, but he didn't. Didn't. How nice. He's a nice man. Um, also, I feel like I had, I had seen the images of the weird facial haired guy turned into a mutant from the toxic waste. Oh, Emilia. Um, I I had no context for it, but I had seen that character, especially because. He interacts with Ray Wise. Yes. Um, and Ray Wise is like, don't touch me. Um, so I think I've mostly seen it in context of Ray Wise, um, like compilations or something. <laughs> I like the visual that I just got of you on YouTube just searching Ray Wise clip shows. I mean, he's night. in a lot of stuff. He is. Shout out to Ray Wise, who on the show, at least once before I've mentioned, is one of my favorite actors uh he actually one of several cast members of robocop who three years later would appear on twin peaks he played leland palmer of course uh father of the murdered laura palmer but also miguel ferrer who plays bob morton in this movie played uh albert rosenfeld fbi agent and dan o'herlihy who plays the old man uh, played andrew packard right yes i think we talked about that when we talked about uh Twin Peaks. But apparently that's a big coincidence. Like they didn't look at RoboCop cast members in particular. It's just when they were casting Twin Peaks. Just like sure. these guys are good at actor things. I mean, there's also a chance that like at some point one of them was like, yo, won't you bring in my friend Dan Hurley? And then Dan was like, yo, have you heard of Miguel Ferreira? And Miguel was like, hey guys, I'm just here. I like being here. It's so fun. Uh, also, bit of trivia that has no particular import where RoboCop is concerned. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, Miguel Ferreira and George Clooney are cousins. Oh, cool. Yes. That's what I got for you. Thank on, you. On that subject. Cool. There's a little bit of trivia in and out real quick. Yeah. Ooh, man. I love those trivia in and outs, baby. Like the little stabby, uh, uh, like the thing that connects to computer terminals that pops out of Robo's wrist that he stabs clarence in the neck with it's like that yes that is a thing that in when you have robot characters they always have like so rtd2 has one of those yeah um there's a different characters um i can't remember they like 
pull their finger off and interact with the the computer as well. Um, it's a big thing that people feel like robots should have, and they why why would they have that? Because I f- it was the eighties. Like that's actually my my answer to that question is like they didn't they didn't. It's a computer. I feel like that's actually the entirety of the thought process. Like, I don't know. It's a computer guy. So he should be able to talk to other computers. And all the computers look like this in 19, in the pseudo future that we project in 1987. Uh Uh-huh. And I really feel like that's it. (laughs) I feel like that, that is the entirety of the thought process. Right. He's a computer guy. So. Yeah. And there, and it's always that like. They stick it in and they like turn it around and they're like, look at me navigating with my, my twisty, my twisty phalla thing. And then you're like, all right, cool. This seems inefficient. Well, also, also though, uh, on the other hand, there are a number of places where not just in terms of like sort of social ideas, but also in terms of technology, this movie was sort of ahead of its time. Um, there's the scene where, spoilers, where uh, Dick Jones has had Clarence show up at Bob Morton's apartment and uh, Clarence plays Bob a message from Dick Jones basically saying, ha ha, you're fucked and it was me. Yeah. Uh, but he plays it on what's essentially a DVD. Mm-hmm. But DVDs weren't, uh, wouldn't be a thing for about a decade at that point. Or a big, they would exist, but like a big consumer thing right. for about another decade it was just the the discs were just sort of designed to contain audio content at that point yeah so uh ocp invented dvds oh yeah that's my point exactly you down with ocp you have you have to be me i didn't i didn't sign a release for this portion all right sign a release for the rest of the show i didn't sign a release for your call and response segment boring (laughs) (laughs) you're ruining the show lex michael (laughs) Everyone's here for that call and response content. They're just waiting. If someone in their car was like, fucking say it! Say the words! <laughs> like, we're somewhere, somewhere on the 405, Paul Verhoeven is pissed. Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Um, all right, so do you have any final thoughts about RoboCop? Uh I mean, like, the the thing is, I could, I feel like I could talk about RoboCop in its various incarnations for a long time. Like, I feel like, like, this really is, and I was reminded recently, this is one of my favorite movies. This is a movie that I can throw on and fall, like, for example, last night I watched it again. I just watched it recently with a bajillion commentaries. You know what I mean? It's like I've been so deeply immersed in RoboCop for over a week. And last night, you know, in preparation for the show, I thought, well, I guess I'll watch it again. Do I, do I really need to watch RoboCop again already? Well, you know what? I'll just refresh my memory on principle. And I got so completely sucked into it again immediately. Yeah. So much so that I really want to go now and watch RoboCop 2 and 3 again, like right now um it really is like i I was so point is i was reminded fairly recently that this really is one of my favorite movies i feel like this movie it it doesn't do everything movies can do certainly but it does most of the things that movies can do and i think uh i think it does it exceptionally well i think it is one of the best movies of its kind ever made i think it is a stone cold classic i think every single element of this thing excels we haven't really even talked about the cinematography like there are there are shots that are 
genius without being especially flashy. It's amazing how they're able to composite some of the miniature effects uh, into shots with uh, your, your, your physical actors mm-hmm. uh, in the physical spaces. Um, Got to shout out. Uh, uh, there's a there's a more flashy example, actually, of a shot that I love that's early in the movie where for the first time you've got Bob and you've got Johnson and you've got uh, Kenny and they're walking into the boardroom. They come out of the elevator and there's this shot that's of them entering the boardroom and they're sort of following the camera, but the shot continues around them and we introduce the old man and Dick Jones in the same shot as they take their seats in the boardroom and the camera works its way around the entire table uh, and back till it settles finally next to a model of the sort of uh, Delta City and you can kind of get a big view of the boardroom, like shots like that, where I think, uh, I just think the execution of shots like that is, is brilliant. And then I also, uh, would be remiss if I didn't shout out the music by Basil Polidorus. Uh, this score to me is, is instantly iconic. I have one of those Pavlovian responses to the main RoboCop theme. It's one of those, I hear it and I just get happy. Yeah. I think it's like the, the, the way like, you know, the, the Star Wars theme has that effect on some people. I think the Harry Potter theme has that effect on hardcore uh, Harry Potter heads and stuff. I feel like I have that response to the RoboCop theme. Yeah. Um, I, I love this movie a lot. I love this movie a lot. I can talk about it at, at even greater length, and I probably will, whether the company I'm in wants me to or not. <laughs> but I, I encourage it. And like I like I said a couple of times, I highly, highly encourage you if you're a fan or if you're you've got a couple extra bucks and you want to give it a, a shot and you want to commit super hard. I cannot recommend uh, Arrow Video's recent limited edition uh, two disc release enough. And if you get their sort of deluxe edition that's out right now, you get, uh, you know, this beautiful kind of hard case with the discs inside. Like you got your smaller Blu-ray case inside of it with the reversible artwork. You've got an 80-page booklet that's just full of writing on the movie, original production notes, information about the cast and the filmmakers, and, and new essays about the movie and its legacy. You've got a big fold-out double-side poster, and then you've got a lot of, like, lobby cards, postcards, and stuff in there. It's it's awesome, and last I checked, it was still under 30 bucks for, for that price, for that much RoboCop. It's a steal. So I highly, seriously, highly, highly encourage it. Also, physical media is better. Don't at me. <laughs> awesome. Um, I enjoyed it having seen it for the first time. It's very much in our zeitgeist, and I'm sure that there are uh, homages and references to it throughout things that you've seen. Uh, so, guys, check it out. As I mentioned, there's the physical copy. You can also watch it on HBO as of this recording. Um, so check it out. Uh, thank you for joining us this week, everyone. We've missed you. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Lex, don't you have a project that you're working on right now? I, I always have several projects I'm working on, but if I had to guess, yes, I think the one you're referring to uh-huh. is that I've been, I've been podcast cheating on you a little bit. Oh, it's true. This has never been exclusive. It's, uh, really? Never. I feel betrayed. Um, that's your fault. I made this very explicit from the very beginning. You signed a document. Mm. In my defense, this print was very small. Right, right, right. But also, um, your lack of call and response made the whole contract null. I see. There was a tiny clause in even smaller font. Right. Yes. Got it. No, I uh, uh, just recently launched another podcast that I do with my significant other. Yes. Don't clutch yourself too hard. I'm in a relationship with someone that is not 
Tari J. Tari just told me we've never been exclusive, which is news yeah, to yeah. me. So I can't feel too terribly guilty. But uh, I'm in a relationship with a wonderful lady named Marianne Ramish, who is an actress, a writer, a YouTuber, and a big fan of the the show, nay, the pop culture juggernaut that is Friends, the sitcom that this year is celebrating its 25th anniversary. I myself, not a fan of the show Friends. And before anyone comes at me with, with torches and pitchforks, I don't mean I think it's a terrible show. I'm just not a big sitcom guy. I never thought there was anything there for me, never watched it, never kept up with it. I don't think it's for me at all. So we launched a show entitled Friends with Benefits in which a couple, myself and my lady, watch the entire series episode by episode. And Marianne attempts to, let's say, indoctrinate me into the ways, into the the cult of Friends. Uh, So we look at it from both a critical perspective and a fan's perspective. It's uh, it's gonna be quite a journey that we've we've embarked on now. You can find this podcast, uh, iTunes. I know it's on Podbean, and it's gonna be everywhere else pretty soon. But go go check that out. Go take this harrowing journey with me as I climb the mountain of some sitcom something something yep. branding pending. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, doing the doing the stuff. I uh, spoilers. I still don't know if this show is for me or not, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out if it ever becomes more for me together on this program. Uh, but we do have a lot of fun doing it, uh, so go uh, check that out. It's on, like I said, iTunes and Podbean right now. Everywhere else pretty soon, and uh, social media you can find it at uh, Friends with Pod on Twitter, I believe, and Friends with Benefits Podcast on Facebook. And you can check the Facebook page for updates. Awesome. But it's, it's me. It's Lex Michael talking about friends. Hell yeah. Doing How many a, of us have them? Doing a thing that I never thought I would do, which is talk about friends. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we are. We're having a good time doing the show. And we were just getting started. It's going to be a very long, very long journey. Yeah. Um, so catch it every Thursday. Um, and where can people find you if they want to chat with you? Uh, so I, me personally, am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, and you can find me at Tari J T A U R I J A Y. But most importantly, you could find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M I S S I N G O U T C A S T on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that you'll be around for the remainder of the holiday season. We hope that. In- in the midst of your travels we are one of the things you listen to on your plane train or automobile we'll see you next week until then this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective